Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. The weather right now is just glorious. It's uh, As we're recording this, it is mid mid-April, and it's a beautiful spring day. And that, I think, is what Dominique wants to talk about. Spring. Yeah, I want to talk about spring and maple trees and shaping environment changes. Because spring is is an environment change. Yes. I mean, you know, we don't always think about seasons or time of day as environmental changes, but they are. And right now here in Quebec, it's just the end of the maple syrup uh, period. Okay. So I have, there's a, the barn where I am, where my board, my, my horses are rather, is, is a private property. It's a beautiful property, lots of maple trees. And I very often walk with my, do- with my horses in the woods. There's like a trail where you can walk and they like it. We both like it. They enjoy it. It's, you know, they're calm. Uh, they're used to the woods. And so it's um, something we do on a pretty regular basis. But now it's maple syrup uh, time <laughs> and it's a traditional, uh, you know, it's, it's just they're not producing uh, commercial maple syrup they're just doing it for families and friends and so it's not the tubes because for people who are not familiar with the tradition that we have here in Quebec and in northeastern United States what we do is we collect the sap from the maple trees and we boil it into maple syrup and in a traditional maple farm you'll drill a hole in the tree and you put a little aluminum bucket uh, under, you know, the hole. And so there are like hundreds of aluminum buckets hanging in the forest. That have just mysteriously appeared. Overnight. Uh, overnight. You know? Very. And so that's a big change in the environment. Yes. The horses, they're like, whoa, what are all these little goblins all over the place? And, you know, it just reminded me that when, you know, you may have a behavior that you think is super solid, super fluent, but, you know, it can, it can be disrupted by just a little change in the environment. And you have to retrain and add these new conditions to the whole uh, teaching. So, you know, I remember once I saw um, a video from Kay Lawrence where she had a dog do a routine. He was super fluent and she just appeared with a broom in the video and the dog didn't know what to do anymore because the stimulus conditions had completely, well, had changed for him. It was relevant. That was not part of the teaching. And... You know, we've been saying now after our webinars and uh, with uh, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz that we, what, what is learned 
is not just a behavior. It's a whole, the context is attached to it. The emotionality is attached to it. The whole shebang is learned. So if you change one thing, everything can be disrupted. And, and so I was looking at um, the webinar we did with Jesus. Uh, it was, I noted the, the date somewhere. It was called Cues in Context. And yes. there was this one sentence where he said, the strength of a behavior is not just due to reinforcement. It is also a function of how the animal responds to a change in stimulus conditions. And later on, he said, if you want strong behavior, well, let me just get the proper way he said, <laughs> you, you have to go for proofing. You have to go for generalizing shape more and more conditions under which the animal will perform the behavior. And then you will have a strong behavior. Otherwise, if you keep always training in the same conditions, you may have a very, you know, a very good behavior, very tight behavior under, under those conditions, but it could go, you know, it could be very easily disrupted. And so, you know, we often, Think of shaping as shaping behaviors, but you can also shape environment, shape right. conditions. And it's not even also, it's that you are shaping, you're shaping a behavior environment association. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we have to remember that because, you know, you may say, well, what's wrong with him? I mean, we walk this wood all the time, but it's not the same. So it's a completely different situation and you may have to retrain for it. It can go pretty quickly between you and I in a context like this one, but maybe, you know, some people may think of other situations in, in which it's much more complicated. One of the things that this makes me think of is you know, the, the whole generalizing conditions. Yeah. So for example, suppose you are a rider who's had a bad scare and maybe you were riding on a on a windy day and your horse was feeling really jumpy and was looking you know jumping at the goblins behind every bush and but you know traditional horse training says you can't get off because if you get off they they will have won you have to stay up there ride them through it all of these things that as horse people we get we get drummed into us as part of the underlying core belief of, of how we should behave as riders. And so as a rider, you stay on when you really should have been getting off. And, and as a result, because you stayed on, you get off <laughs> unexpectedly, meaning you get, um, you get thrown and you have a bad scare. Maybe you're, you're injured, so there's a recovery time. But now when you ride, if the wind starts to kick up, you get nervous and you're holding your breath. And so the, that, the, the, the change in temperature and the gustiness of the wind, it becomes a cue for you to get very tight on your horse. And so you come up with lots of excuses, lots of reasons not to ride on those days. And if you're not careful, those reasons for not riding can begin to expand. And so the, the stimulus class under which 
you don't ride can get, without really even noticing it, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger until you're a non-rider. And then some of the safety net underneath your horse is weakened because part of the reason that you have the horse is because you love to ride, you want to ride, and maybe you're just beginning to discover uh, the joys of, of clicker training and all the liberty work, et cetera, et cetera. But that safety net is weakened because those conditions under which you start to feel nervous are getting bigger and bigger. And so and it's the same. It's the same for your horse. Well, yes, absolutely. Maybe, maybe in the beginning, your horse was only scared in one place in particular when it was windy. But if you push through it and you continue to do it and not address it, then you will increase the places where the horse is fearful. You will make it you will expand and expand and expand the place. And now my horse is afraid everywhere. And as soon as it starts the smallest wind, so you're expanding the conditions under which the, the horse is fearful. The training principles say train where you can, not where you can't. Hmm. So it's train where you feel comfortable. The training principles tell us to train in conditions in which you have the emotional behavior that you want in yourself and in your learner. And so you're not going to be training on windy days. You're going to be training in a safe environment, maybe in an arena, not out on the trail, in a safe environment. On the really gusty, windy days, you're not going to be getting on because mm -hmm. that would be violating those principles. So you may be you may be setting up a, a, a training environment in which you have your mounting block and you have a small circle of cones and there are mats around the circle of cones. And that's your security blanket. That's your comfort zone. That you know that you can get on at the mounting block, you can ride to the first mat, and you can decide, wow, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I'm going to get off now. That was my trail ride. I still have a clean loop. You still have a clean loop, absolutely. That's always, we're always back yep. to loopy training. Yep. And so you gradually begin to feel more confident riding not just to one mat, but to two mats, riding to three mats. Now you can ride around the whole circle. And you're totally ignoring all the other people in your boarding barn who are, you know, rolling their eyes, going, ah, oh, you know, what is this nonsense? You mm -hmm. are staying in your comfort zone, building clean loops. Now, the environment will change. So some days when you're riding from mat to mat to mat, it's, uh, it's a bright, sunny, warm day. And you feel really comfortable because it's a bright, sunny, warm day. But the next day, it might be overcast. But it's still warm. Your horse is relaxed. And so what begins to happen is the stimulus class in which you feel comfortable is now expanding rather than contracting. So now you feel yeah. comfortable riding on warm days that are overcast and warm days that are sunny. And as you continue and you begin to expand it, you can move the, your cone circle a little further from the mounting block. And so 
that environmental change begins to occur. Maybe you can start to take some of the mats away. You don't need as many, as many security blankets uh, as you go around the circle. And now the weather is changing yet again, so maybe it's, it's a little chilly, but it's not windy. And right. so the stimulus class has grown again so that now you feel comfortable and confident riding on a chilly but calm day. And as you keep training within your clean loops, yeah. you will find that your stimulus class keeps growing and growing until, lo and behold, you're riding on a windy day and everything is fine. Right. It's a neat process. Yeah. But it's, so just to be aware that you can shape that, that expansion yes. of the context, that flexibility adding more fading it in you know adding more and more and more conditions that will make for very strong behaviors that are not easily disrupted and so if at some point some some behavior is falling apart you should stop right there and look at what are the changes in the environment because obviously there is a change in the environment that's relevant to the animal that has not been a part of the teaching process right. and need to add this part to the teaching yeah. process. And you can, depending upon how you respond, you can end up with your world contracting or depending upon how you respond and how well you follow the basic principles of training, you can end up with your world expanding. And we want to have the world expand. Well, I think that when you start training in clean, clean loops, you automatically, you know, you have that safety net under you because you won't continue with a horse that is spooked. You'll stop right there. Right. Well, except. And even you, and I, you know, I remember the very, very, very first time, the very first clinic that I took with you. I remember when you said safety comes first. Oh, that felt so good. <laughs> it was yeah. so reassuring. I thought, and then you started with all these little details of the hand rope, the rope handling, and I thought, okay, I love this. She's not going to push me into a situation <laughs> where I'm not comfortable. You know, maybe I'm the one who's going to say, okay, I'm ready. When are we going to the next step? And yeah. I love it. It was very reassuring to me. So, and I guess when, when you're, when you're up training in clean loops, there's no, I mean, unless you don't see danger, you know, and you think you're in a clean loop, right. that maybe could happen that you're not you don't, you haven't been around horses long enough to know what comes before <laughs> whatever can be dangerous. But if you've been around horses, you start to have a pretty good idea of when you're starting to get in trouble. And then if you train in clean loops, you'll, you won't go there. You'll just stop way before that. That makes me think of a, a couple that used to, that boarded at one of the barns that where I had my horses. And all of us who had, any experience around horses, we just, I mean, we were just, oh, you know, we don't want to look at the train wreck that's coming because they had no idea, no idea what, the, what they were doing was just unbelievably stupid and, and dangerous. 
because they they were so blissfully naive that Mm. they just they would do these these and I can't even think of good examples but we would all just be oh we can't watch (laughs) somehow or another they they did survive so you're right that sometimes you don't realize that oh you are you are you have gone out on the ice and it is so thin underneath you that you take one step in the wrong direction and it's going to just crack wide open and, and plunge you in the icy waters. Somehow or another, for the most part, we managed to get back on solid ice because horse people, you know, look at all, we, we survive our, those, those stages, but um yeah. So. But, you know, sometimes, I know my horses, sometimes they surprise me, you know, where I didn't see something coming and it happens. And so, you know, you have to become observant about the, the environment and what can, you know, elicit those behaviors. I'm not sure if elicit is the right word yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, of a Bonanza story, actually, that when I was playing with him and it was the day that uh, the stilters were practicing, and, mm-hmm. and you had those these acrobats that were on these stilts that had springs in them, so they mm-hmm. could spring way up in the air, and they were setting up jumps, and they were uh, they were there because they had a new acrobat who needed uh, to learn how to work on the stilts on the arena footing and the footing that would be in the Cavalia show. And he was used to working on solid ground. So they were there in the arena practicing and they were setting up these uh, the jumps. And it was fascinating to me because they were setting up the kinds of gymnastics that you would set up if you were uh, working with a horse. You know, starting low, you've got, you've got the ground pole and another ground pole and a cross rail and then the larger jump. It was the same kind of gymnastics. And they eventually got up to, I think they were jumping like five, six feet fences. It was amazing. Mm. And they were in half of the arena and I was working with Bonanza on the on the other half. And Bonanza never batted in an eye. Didn't look at them at all. And I don't think he would have had that much exposure, if any, to the stilters prior to this, but it did not worry him in no. the slightest no. that people were sailing up in the air. Apparently from a horse's point of view, it's totally normal for humans to fly. He didn't like it when they fell. That disturbed him. Right. So a couple times that they fell, that, that disturbed him. But what worried him was uh, they set a shavings bag uh, up against the side of the arena. And, oh, he looked at that and said... That's that's terrifying. I can't go near that. And that, of course, is always the fun of horses, because there he was totally blasé about these stilters leaping up in the air. And I would have thought that that would be something that would attract a horse's attention. And and no, the um, the thing that worried him was the shavings back. And that's so like horses. It's so typical. But but generalizing, generalizing, and I think it's, you know, we shouldn't always train the same thing in the same place. We should think about generalizing and proofing, adding variations in the conditions. I think it's a, it's a. Unless unless you want, 
unless you want the behavior to be very specific yeah. Yeah, to yeah. the environment. Right. Right. So getting back to the maple syrup. Yeah. So when you're out on your walk and the situation becomes, you have suddenly found yourself in an environment that has challenges that you were not necessarily expecting or prepared for. And this yeah. can happen. So then you are, when we talk about, you know, oh, you want to train in environments where train where you can, not where you can't, et cetera. You know, safety always comes first. But you're in a woods filled with these scary buckets. So sometimes, for example, in clinics, I will find that the horse is sort of in over his head. He's away from home. You're trying to find an environment in which this horse can work. And in the meantime, he's in the arena. His person is brought in the arena. He's falling apart emotionally. And you have to manage him. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much about training in that particular moment as it is about having the skills that will allow you to manage this horse when life happens because mm -hmm. life does happen. So we need to be able to develop handling skills that allow us to manage our horses in environments that are not ideal because there will be times when the environment is not ideal. You know, you're going out for a walk and there aren't any maple syrup buckets, but the bears are moving and you can't see the bear. Well, I'll give you another example. There's this place that I, when we do the walks, if it's winter, there's no grass, obviously. When it's spring, I before I bring my horses to the summer paddocks where they're going to eat 24-7 grass, I start to hand graze them, of course, mm -hmm. like everybody. And, and there's this patch of grass where we go to, which is, again, it's kind of the same path in the woods, but we go farther away. And when we arrive at that patch, it's the grazing patch that where they get their stomach, their digestive system gets used to the grass. And so I decided to go there with Woody, but it was too early. And usually when we go there, we graze. Mm. And it was like he, I had the feeling that he was frustrated that there was no grass. It was like, I brought him up there. He expected to graze and there was nothing to graze. It was too early. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's a change in your own place where you wouldn't think that I'm not going at somewhere else's barn. It's just spring. The weather's different. There's, there's grass. There's no grass. All these things can surprise you sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in the training, there may be times where it's all well and good for us to say, well, you know, you want to go find a clean loop and train where you can, not where you can't. But you've got to be able to manage your horse safely, effectively, until you can get to a better training environment. And so what I don't want to do 
is leave people with the impression that somehow they failed if they find themselves handling their horses at times when there are silver buckets on the trees and their horses are jumping around. Yeah, but I'll tell you something that I feel quite strongly is that if your history with your horse is a positive history filled with positive reinforcement, when that happens, when life happens and you just suddenly are in a situation where your horse is reacting more than you would want yeah, to, yeah. my experience is that they will take care of you. They, will, yes. they may react, but because they don't expect you to punish them on top of their fear, they're not going to be, the, the, they're not, I think you will be in less of a dangerous situation than if you have in the past corrected your horse for being fearful. No. When you have a good relationship with your animal, I think they can go through the fear with you and you are more safe. That's how I feel yeah. with my horses. When it has happened, I've always felt they were taking care of me, even if they were a little bit like out of control, but it was never towards me. They, they weren't expecting me to deliver on top of this some kind of correction because I don't, you, you know, if it happens, I, I just, I, I don't go there. It's just not my go-to. And for some people, it may be because they've had such training in, you know, suppressing this kind of behaviors when the horse is overreacting. I don't have that muscle memory in me. So I don't, I just don't go there. Managing does not mean terrorizing your horse. It means no. redirecting the energy out of your space and keeping them safe and keeping using your handling skills, using their repertoire to bring them back into a mental focus where you can both listen to one another. But the other piece in this is we are dealing with an animal that lives in herds. Horses are very good at not stepping on one another, knocking one another down. When you think about the wild herds and they would have foals uh, in a herd and they're not trampling the, the foals. So when something scares a herd, they're not knocking one another down. They are, they are incredibly skilled at maneuvering themselves so that they are not knocking another horse That's down. True. And Humans would step on each other. You know, you see that all yeah, the time. Yeah, That's sort true. of trample you know, one another. do that even when the whole herd is in a panic. No, you don't. And, and one of the things that I've just been astounded by is when, um, when I'm working with one of my horses and they are, startled by something because anybody can be startled where or or it's just the day when they feel like jumping at some mysterious goblin that's who knows what but i'm always astounded at how much control they have that they can be sort of in mid spook and redirect themselves so mm -hmm. that i am ne never in danger 
Yeah. Or it can if your bodies in a way that is yeah. quite astounding. When yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, they're very aware of the space. Very aware. Yeah, very space aware around them, and you know how much. So, <clears throat> and you know when you see like you know I've had some mares uh, when when I had my farm, and you know they can be very you know they they can certainly communicate with each other you know with first the ears but if that doesn't work you know they can escalate and you can see uh, a horse lips is uh, behind uh, but never touch the other one unless yes. the other one doesn't respond you know I've also seen um, not in my uh, um, in my farm because the, the 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 mare the herd was very well stabilized but you know I've seen uh mare kicking on video kicking at each other's spots you know where they they are touching each yes. other but so yeah they're very aware of the space and if i think i don't want to generalize but because sometimes there might be other things moving that they are not because they are aware of their own body but if something unexpected happens uh, in, in the other person or other horses, they might hit each other by accident. Accidents do happen. Yes. But I think generally that's true, you know, unless you are uh, provoking them and they feel they need to defend themselves, normally they would probably not that's uh, right. attack you. Or, or if you zig when you were supposed to zag and, and you, they run into you because you just, you did a you you didn't you didn't move the way they were expecting you to move and yeah. so there was a collision because yeah. you silly human you were supposed yeah. to zag and you zigged but <laughs> but basically they are incredibly skilled at not running into us and that also reminds me of when I was working with Robin in, in some of the rope handling choreography and I wanted to ask him for an uh, a turn to the inside, where you know, he's on, he's on a lead or he's on lip, at liberty, and I'm asking him to turn across, uh, to turn across me, and make a, a change of direction. So it's an inside turn, and he used to get so grumpy. It's like I would get just the ugliest faces and these sort of snapping at the air kind of thing of oh this is just dreadful, terrible, terrible. And so I spent a winter with him dissecting every weight shift in an inside turn. I just, it was an incredible experience. And I learned so much from that. And, you know, where, what is, where does he need to be? Where does the weight shift? How does he need to move? And what I discovered in that is what a clumsy dancer I had been. That, of course, he was making ugly faces at me because I as a human was crowding him mm. and here is this horse who has this elegant understanding of space mm. that herd animals have mm -hmm. and I the clumsy human was not where I should have been mm. in the dance step mm -hmm. and so he was feeling he was doing what I was asking him to do but in doing it, I was crowding him. I was like, oh, you know, of course. And so when I became a better dance partner, all of the that grumpiness went away. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to grump at me anymore. 
And I think about some of the, the handling that goes on where it's always blame the horse. No, it's the horse being disrespectful. It's the yeah. horse crowding into you. It's oh, come the, on. It's just maple buckets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's always on, on the shoulders of the horse. Yeah. And it takes two to tango. When you learn how to dance with them, they are incredibly elegant dancers. And they will, they will keep us safe. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the beauty of it. Which is kind of a good segue into uh, what I wanted to talk about today as well. Um, so you wanted to talk about spring. And mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about some of the foundation behaviors. And, and there's a, and I think this relates really well to what we were just talking about in terms of how, how to build those, a relationship using positive reinforcement in a way that keeps us safe and mm-hmm. in a way that allows you to build um, and keep expanding your training into more and more conditions. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me read you something. Okay. So in the new online clinics, I've, uh, there, are, there are places in the clinic where people can uh, post comments and questions and we can have discussions. And it's been really fascinating for me to see what, what people are sending in. And this one uh, individual, and I have permission to quote some of what she's been sharing. So, so let me share first her comments about the, the online clinic. So the first clinic is the Getting Started Clinic. And this is an experienced clicker trainer. So she's already, uh, she's already familiar with the clicker training. She's already familiar with my work. But she's going through the course this, uh, this getting started course, and she's going through it with two horses that are fairly new to her still. I think she's had them for just over a year. And so one of the, one, one of the things that she sent me, which was, of course, very lovely to hear, she's saying, thank you again for these wonderful coaching sessions and for all the time and thought you've put on, into this online clinic. I feel like a whole new world is opening up for us and I think it's just going right back to the basics and starting to clean them up a bit more. My horse certainly likes it. He's almost like a different horse. He is so much calmer. And he is certainly feeling better in his body too, which also helps to make him feel calmer and means we can make progress a lot faster. And again, that was just such a, a wonderful confirmation of the importance of revisiting the basics. In fact, the more experienced a trainer you are, the more you can do with the basics. And so it's really fun to watch skilled trainers working with horses using these foundation lessons and seeing just how beautifully elegant they really are. So she went on to talk about some of the interactions that she has with her horse in just sort of a general managing, being around the, the relationship times when you're not necessarily working formally in a training session, but just those things that you do as a, the social interactions that you have with your horse. So she, she's talking about some of the frequent interactions that she has. So it's stand politely, 
next to me, so that would be grown-ups, walk with me, back up, uh, back up away from me, away from a gate, away from food, so that just helps to um, be able to manage a horse in a comfortable way that you can bring an armload of hay out and they're not they're not knocking you down to get the hay kind of thing. She can ask them if they want scratches, you know, if they want to be socially groomed, if they want to be uh, actually groomed, and, and her horses have a way of, of soliciting the grooming or saying, no thanks, I don't want that now. She can ask them to, um, in the grazing, to leave the grass and come away. They put uh, they self-halter. They, they stand well for basic foot care, etc. So lots of, and the, the list goes on, but you get sort of the general idea of just those basic husbandry interactions are well in place. And so for one horse, she says, I taught all of these behaviors using positive reinforcement. She taught them as cues, and she never escalated the pressure, at least never intentionally, when she was teaching. But, and this is one of the things that I think is really interesting, but sometimes there is an element of this needs to happen, which means I might make the same request again, even after a no answer, but I will have changed something to make a yes more likely. Change the way I ask, change the criterion to make a smaller loop, etc. And I thought that was a really interesting comment that's worth chewing on a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, when you're when your horse gives you a no, okay. but you really need a yes for uh, you ask again differently. Yes. So so that so rather than just saying asking for it. Uh, again, in the same way that you asked or insisting, you know, you may have said no, but you really have to do this. So she is finding ways to change the no into a yes. Yeah. So with your horses, can you think of, are there situations where you might, they might be giving you a no, but how would you trans? How do you transform that into a yes? That's a good place to stop for today. This question sets us off in a new direction, so we'll wait until next time to let Dominique answer this question. If you want to learn more about the clinics that we were talking about, do please visit my website, theclickercenter.com. There you'll find extensive information about the clinics, their contents, how they work. Hopefully it will answer lots of your questions. And you can always email me if you have other questions. And so until next time, stay safe and have fun with your horses.